In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Ken Brannan, and I am your new vice rector. And I've had a lot of people ask me, what is a vice rector? And it's a great question, so I decided to do a little bit of research. I looked first at the vice presidency of the United States. And as Texas's very own John Vance Garner is reported to have said, the vice presidency isn't worth a pitcher of warm spit. And actually, he probably used an earthier word than spit. But I'm sure that's not the case with my new role, right, Chris? Many of my friends, on the other hand, are convinced that I've become the rector of vice. <laughs> and they want to know how they can find a similar position. And that sounds like an interesting job, but I don't think that's what we have in mind here. I'm thrilled to be with you here, and I do think my gifts are well-suited for this particular role. I will be helping Chris maximize his gifts as a visionary rector and helping the clergy and staff fulfill the duties that have been entrusted to them. I will preach, teach, and offer pastoral care, just like all of the priests, but I will also help ensure the smooth functioning of this large, complex organization. I'm excited about the challenge, and I look forward to getting to know you better. When Chris informed me some weeks ago that I would be preaching on this particular Sunday, I do it all, priests do, and I went to the lectionary to see what was in store. And as you might imagine, I was just thrilled that the gospel lesson was about a foolish rich man who saved his money but lost his soul. It's a great way to begin in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> no dangers there at all. So I quickly turned to Colossians to see if there was safer ground, and I was delighted to see that we're being cautioned against fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Chris, I understand why you assigned me to this Sunday. Thank you. I may be the rector of vice after all. Once I recovered from my lectionary panic attack, I realized just how important these lessons are and how central they are to life in Christ. And especially as I begin ministry with you, I think there's something here to mine and unpack for our common life together. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are invited into the abundance of God, which surpasses all worldly wealth and all human passion. Our divine inheritance is far superior to anything that the world can offer. But in order to live into this godly inheritance, we must let lesser things die. And that can be a painful process. As Jesus understood so well, God must increase as we decrease. What's called for in the kingdom of God is nothing less than an extreme self-makeover. Now, I don't know if you remember the show Extreme Home Makeover. It ran from 2003 to 2012, and my understanding is that they're gonna bring it back in 2020, and you may have mixed feelings about that. The premise is that a needy family is selected by the community to have an extreme home makeover. And this family has endured some kind of trial, and so they couldn't possibly live into this makeover on their own finances. So while they're on a seven-day, all-expenses-paid vacation, Local businesses and contractors donate goods and labor and literally in a week transform the home, sometimes rebuilding it from scratch. 
And the high point of the show is when the family returns and the bus is in front of them and they say, move that bus, and the bus moves, and there's oohs and ahs as they look at this incredible new creation. Now, I totally understand how reality TV works, and I know the emotional buttons that the producers are trying to push in me, but I fall for it every time. Every time I watch that show, I cry. This has become a kind of sport in my family. The children don't watch the show, they watch me to see when I'm going to cry. And I I cry because I'm moved by the challenges of these families. I'm moved by the idea of a community coming together and doing a great thing. And I'm moved by the gift of hope that is presented to this family. And I know that there's a shadow side to this show. There's plenty of realities that are not captured on camera before or after the makeover. But for the sake of today's sermon, I want you to think about that kind of transformation, that kind of breathtaking awareness when you see what God has done in you. Today's scripture call out for transformation. Not a transformation made for TV, but a transformation of our very beings. And the theological principle to understand in this transformation is that when we are united to Christ through our baptism, we are united not only to his death on the cross, but also to his resurrection. We quite literally become new creations. And you know that passage from 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. The dilemma in today's scripture passages is that people are consistently choosing a lesser way. Rather than walking in the way of Christ, which is abundant, and with the sacrifice that that entails, they're trying to find happiness in other lesser things. So in the gospel lesson, the foolish man believes that his happiness lies in creating more wealth and building bigger barns. He actually has a very humorous conversation with himself. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you know what the telltale sign of this man's problem is? He doesn't consult anyone except himself. He doesn't pray to God. He doesn't talk with his family. He doesn't see what the community might need. He simply engages in a one-man soliloquy and decides that his wealth is intended for his happiness. And in this sad, lonely world, there is no community with whom he can interact. There's no people with whom he can share his possessions. In fact, his possessions have become his community, and in the end, they are inadequate to the task of love. The lesson continues with God saying to the man, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The writer of Colossians is struggling with a similar issue but in a different form. In his community, there are those who were baptized in Christ, heard the teaching of Paul, but now they're following what's called super apostles, those who put 
regulations and restrictions on people based on the law, and so they're thinking that it's how they behave that's going to get them where they need to be. Or there's a group that has fallen into satisfying the needs and the desires of the flesh with no concern for Christ. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we're looking for that list of things we're not supposed to do. But that's actually not what the Bible is showing us. The Bible is showing us the abundant life that is available in God. And that's what the writer of Colossians wants us to think about. To think about what community looks like if the fruits of the Spirit were operative. What kind of behaviors would we evidence? So I suggest you spend less time on the list of no's and more time on the list of this is what a community in Christ might look like. The gospel and the epistle are asking the same question. Are we going to gratify ourselves at the expense of others? Or are we going to trust God completely and experience transformation, transformation of heart, body, mind, and soul? In the Jewish imagination, it's the whole being. You can't separate those things. And we're called in Christ to that kind of extreme makeover but it's only possible through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We can't, as type A personalities, do it ourselves. It's only a contrite heart in the hands of God that can create a new creation. Our ancient forebears called this process divinization, and it's basically how do we become more and more like our maker. I share this message with you not as one who has arrived, but as one who believed the struggle is worth having. When my AC unit gave out three weeks after moving into our new home, I was not thinking about being united with Christ. I was thinking how hot Dallas is, and yes, I know it's been a mild summer, I don't wanna hear it again. When I brought my car into the shop after our cross-country journey and found that two of my engine mounts had broken, I wasn't thinking about dying to self and living to God. I was thinking about how expensive cars are. And when a garden statue fell on Rachel's foot one week before our move, breaking her foot in two places, I wasn't thinking about how I might decrease so that God might increase. I was thinking about how on earth would we make it from Idaho to Texas as planned. In the heat of the moment, we may not be terribly spiritually minded, but if we are baptized into Christ, then we can trust that Christ is working in us and our community, getting us where we need to be. And with every one of those stories that I just told, the key was leaning in to others, trusting the community around me. If I had had a soliloquy by myself, it would have been a sad month. Life events offer us a choice. Will I trust God's provision or will I lean into my own understanding? Will I be ruled by the anxiety of the flesh or will I be centered in the peace of the spirit? The, the peace of the spirit can be elusive at, at times and especially now, within the past 24 hours, there have been two mass shootings, one quite close to us, one in El Paso, Texas, perpetrated by a young man from the Dallas suburbs, and one in Dayton, Ohio. Where is the peace of God to be found in times like these? What transformation of our national psyche needs to happen to return us to sanity? 
Today's lesson offers us a clue. At the end of Colossians, the author writes, you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator, Christ is all in, in all. Can you trust that even in the midst of sorrow and heartbreak and political fury, that Christ is at work making the whole creation new beyond your imagination. And this is true not only on an individual level, but a church and national level. We can't will ourselves to this place. All we can do is offer God our whole selves, warts and all, and bear witness to what God will do when we offer him a contrite heart. When we walk the way of Jesus, we will begin to look more and more like our creator, and there's nothing more attractive or long-lasting than a makeover performed by God. Amen.